and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 178, recorded on February 28th, 2021. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. This week, Red Hat announced yet another way to get no-cost access to Red Hat Enterprise Linux, but it's only for those who qualify. No, you're not experiencing deja vu. This is an additional program from the one they expanded in January, where they brought the production count up to 16 for developers. This is seemingly perhaps a an olive branch to people who use RHEL in production of open source software or for infrastructure that supports open source software. But there's a couple of hoops you got to jump through to qualify. Hoop number one is you have to email Red Hat to be approved. You've got to actually tell them you're interested in this program and then, in theory, go through the process, sign up, make an account until you get access to all those goodies. I think Red Hat's Jason Brooks made their intention clear with this quote. We want to make sure that those organizations engaged with open source have access to RHEL as they build and test the future of open source software. And I think this point's kind of important. It, it To me, it kind of sounds like you have to email them and kind of ask and justify why you should deserve access to this, and then they will review it and then decide if you qualify. They do say who gets it when they're kind of talking, trying to set expectations on their site. They say the program is available exclusively to open source projects and other organizations that support the production of open source software. They go on to say, Generally, all software distributed under a Fedora-approved license is considered open source for the purpose of this program. Projects sponsored by for-profit companies can also be eligible for RHEL for open source infrastructure subscriptions, with the caveat that subscriptions obtained through the program must be used solely for independent project infrastructure. So there's a couple of gotchas in there. And I have a few additional questions on top of that, Wes. Like, what happens if my company is sponsoring open source software today and we develop open source software for a couple of years and then we stop? Maybe the developers leave or the project's over. Do we then have to email Red Hat and get a quote to pay for our licenses? Do we get to keep those licenses that were issued to us, even though we no longer support open source software? And how do I format this email when I write in asking, Please, sir, can I have some free Linux? How do I how do I format that email? You can tell there are definitely going to be those questions. They even note way down at the bottom of their blog post, we realize this program doesn't cover situations where open source projects are using public CI infrastructure provided by third parties. This and other programs are still being worked on. That's a pretty big yeah. hole here. Yeah, it is. That hole is big enough that it's an entire market or two of users. And then you combine the hassle of having to email in and, and, and beg for your Linux I think this is enough of a barrier that people will just use Rocky Linux or they'll use Cloud Linux. They're not going to bother with the with these games because if you're thinking about it, you're set, you're spinning up some VMs for some infrastructure. Are you really going to mess with this sort of loan to you Linux where the where it's kind of a, it's sort of vague and not really clear what happens down the down the road long term? And yes, you get access to things like the forums, but you don't actually get support with this. It's self serve support. Well, I can get that with every other Linux distribution as well. Well, they did sort of dangle support for some organizations. We may also be able to offer no-cost support depending on the scope and nature of the organization, which that's kind of just more questions uh, to my mind. This might be useful for, for people and organizations and projects 
that are in the Red Hat ecosystem pretty closely already. They, they had a quote from folks at GNOME who appreciate having this access. And maybe if you're already administrating a, a lot of Red Hat boxes, you're using those tools all the time, and now you can just do that for the open source you're involved with. Okay, I mean, that's probably a good thing, but I agree with you. The value proposition, if, you're, if you don't need, you're not insistent on having access to real RHEL, I'm not sure I get it. I think your point's well taken that if you are if you're producing software that's going to run on RHEL, this just made your life easier. And that's totally worth acknowledging. And it is good to see because this, this is going to cover those areas a little bit more completely where the developer program didn't really make sense. And so I do want to, I do want to commend them for that because my criticism of the developer program was it meant a lot of use cases were going to kind of be shoehorned as a developer, like infrastructure, you know, but now this is going to make that a little more clear, but they, they also say this isn't going to work for a large list of organizational types, academic institutions. This doesn't really solve their problem. Healthcare organizations does not solve their problem. There's a lot of categories of firms like that that are not going to qualify for this. And I think Red Hat's answer there is pretty clear. You should just buy commercial rel. That's the, you have a, you have a use case for commercial rel in those cases. And I don't know if I completely agree, at least in the academic sense. What is your thought? Well, yeah, so they, they do say Red Hat is continuing to explore new programs for traditional nonprofits and academic institutions and government entities. So I think they acknowledge that maybe it's some of those cases it, it might make sense. You know, there's a lot of folks who are on CentOS or people involved with scientific Linux perhaps for a while that are already in that ecosystem, probably could use some free route to support scientific research, say. Yeah, you know, actually, it's funny you mentioned scientific Linux. There are signs of life, again, with that project post-CentOS news. And that's interesting to develop. And I, it is good that they kind of acknowledge, because government was one that I didn't mention, and it's clearly a huge one for them. Government and academic could use a solution here. And I think then it, then it would be a little more complete, but they are going to need support packages. It's going to be tricky. I think it's, it's hard to blur that line of which organizations do or don't. I think that's part of the reason they're being and trying to set some clear or not so clear guidance from the start with this new program. It does make a little more sense than the developer program. I'll give them that. Um, and this is, it's almost cliche to say it at this point, but it is the elephant in the room. So I'm going to just say it. This totally should have been flushed out before the CentOS announcement. I grok that the intention was to get the news out to CentOS users as fast as possible so they could start planning. And that is an honorable intention. But man, oh man, if the left and the right hand couldn't have worked a little bit more together on this one to kind of package this up, imagine this now in its full context. You've got the expanded 16 production system developer program. You've got this where it's not really limited to any amount of systems. It's more about the, the type of industry or job function. And type of system. Yeah. But it's opened up to a lot more people. Yeah. Now, and then you also still have CentOS Stream. Right? It's not like CentOS is gone. Mm -hmm. And so if the announcement was, hey, you've got all these ways where you can actually just run RHEL, how you used to run CentOS, and by the way, CentOS is transitioning at, in a year plus, that would have been a totally different story than CentOS is going away as you love it. And then months of really nothing while projects sprung up to replace what they took away before the complete picture was out in the public. Meanwhile, behind the scenes all knowing that this was going to happen. The Red Hat staff knew this was the direction they were going in with these RHEL programs, but just simply failed to execute in a way that communicated it properly. And instead, they just took one on the chin and lost reputation and lost the faith 
of the open source community. Yeah, you know, here they even explicitly say that this is something they are they were already doing with organizations. They knew they needed to clean this up. Yeah. <sighs> um, but it's here now. And by the end of 2021, once Santos has gone to stream, it's there's going to be clear delineations now. It's still kind of fuzzy between all of them. Well, you know, Alma Linux just put out an RC1. <laughs> Tracking the CentOS clones as they land here on the show. Well, while we're talking about Red Hat, OpenShift 4.7 landed this week. And the notable thing here really is Red Hat is attempting to simplify the migration of virtual machines to containers and also just migrating from your maybe quote unquote legacy VM stack into OpenShift. Well, those virtual machines, they might not even be running Linux because according to Red Hat's Peter Lauterbach, the OpenShift team's been working closely with Microsoft on this one too. One other thing I want to talk about is that we've done uh, virtualization validation with Microsoft. This has actually been the case since we actually GA'd the product several releases ago. So anything that's supported from Windows 2012 R2 onwards all the way up to Windows 10 is a supported, validated uh, configuration, not only from Red Hat, but from Microsoft as well. I'll take anything that makes managing Windows a little easier. Linode.com slash land. Go there to get a $100 60-day credit towards a new account. Yeah, I said $100. I, I know. It's great. Linode provides virtual servers that make it easy and affordable to host anything you want in the cloud. We use them for all of the new infrastructure as JB 3.0. I started a couple of years ago personally using them. And then when the opportunity to go independent came and I knew I'd need a whole new generation of infrastructure, Linode was the obvious choice. 30 to 50% cheaper than places like AWS or Google, but they've been around since 2003. So they've honed this machine. They know what they're doing. SSD storage, 40 gigabit connections, a super easy to use UI to manage everything. Wes and I were messing with things over the weekend and I knew Wes was up to something because I started seeing the emails come in with some of their built-in monitoring tools. You get alerts when certain events happen, which is always a great way to kind of get a indication that something's going on on your box. But of course, it was just Wes being awesome. But, you know, I was thinking, we talk a lot about how we use it for hosting, but something I don't mention a lot is it's a great way to learn. And with our $100 credit, when you go to linode.com slash LAN, you can build a configuration of performance and distribution and server location that's perfect for you. So you get great performance and a platform to learn on. Think about maybe cybersecurity. This is something you could really, really use hands-on experience with. And not everyone has a dozen different rigs of different compute power and software stacks that they can mess around with. But with our $100 credit, you could really get a lot of runway there and learn something fundamental about cybersecurity. There's so many great opportunities to learn there. But perhaps, perhaps it's worth seeing if you could extend your existing infrastructure with Linode. Maybe cloud monitoring that you roll yourself with something like Zabbix. They have a one-click app deployment for enterprise-class open-source monitoring. Zabbix is an all-in-one monitoring solution that you can deploy on Linode and then monitor your systems from the cloud. Try it out with our $100 credit and see how far you can get. Linode.com slash LAN. Go there, support the show, and get that $100 credit. And a big thank you to Linode for sponsoring independent content like this here show. Linode.com slash LAN. Well, I know you don't need yet another laptop, Chris. But what if I told you about a new modular repairable laptop that doesn't look too bad either? This week, the Framework team unveiled their first product, the Framework Laptop. 
a thin, lightweight, high-performance 13.5-inch notebook that can be upgraded, customized, and repaired. Modular, repairable, upgradable, customizable? These are not usually the terms you hear thrown thrown around for a, a modern laptop anymore, so it definitely caught our attention. Let's talk a little bit about the specs. 11th Gen Intel Core processors in there. Optional Wi-Fi 6E, up to 64 gigabytes of DDR4 RAM, 4 terabytes of storage. It can go up to 4 terabytes of storage, which is Gen 4 NVMe storage. And then, of course, like Wes said, it's thin, lightweight. It's got that 13.5-inch screen, which is running at a 3 by 2 screen ratio. But the standout item here, like the feature, the headline feature of the framework laptop, supposedly is going to be this expansion card system, which is one of these things that could be both brilliant and also disastrous, depending on how it's implemented. The idea is you have these modules that have ports that can be interplaced with each other. USB-C is the back-end connectivity, so you can get DisplayPort in there, microSD, fast storage, a high-end headphone amp, um, or just a USB-C port itself. Like, you mix and match the modules as you want. And that's going to be one of its strongest features, differentiators, you could say. Uh, That is providing these modules get built, and are there third parties that are interested? In in theory, this is all open, and anyone could build a module. The question is, will they? Now, for upgrades, both storage and Wi-Fi are socketed, and there's two slots of upgradable memory. Even the entire mainboard can be swapped if you want to support a new CPU gen. That's forward-looking. I like it. High-use parts like the battery, screen, keyboard, and color-customizable magnetic-attached bezels are also easy to replace. There's even QR codes on each item that take you directly to guides on their site. That's all pretty nice, and I'm starting to get a picture here of this laptop that I buy once and then I upgrade for two or three cycles, perhaps, and I can get different modules. The Linux support story in here is a little tricky. It's there. There is Linux support, but it's it's not like a headline feature of this thing. It was mentioned once in their post. Yeah, in the DIY edition of the laptop, which would honestly probably be what I'd want to get anyways, but... See, they know. Yeah, yeah. otherwise it's like Windows 10 Home or Windows 10 Pro, depending on who you are. But they're going to have the DIY edition for those of you who do prefer, who prefer to install your own Linux. I don't even think it's going to come preloaded. But all the parts, if you look at this thing, Intel processor, Intel Wi-Fi, it's, it's all going to be supported by Linux. That's... Like, they don't have to do much. And because the interconnect is likely using USB-C for all the different modules, that's also going to work with Linux. We'll be fine. But it does remind me of my one of my all-time favorite laptops was the Apple, PowerBook, Pismo, and Wall Street generations. They were, they were pretty cool laptops because they had these interchangeable modular bays, two of them. And you could change out the DVD drive for a battery, you could put a hard disk in the slot, or if you were like me and were a baller, you took two batteries and you put them both in the module bay and you got all day battery life out of this laptop. It was awesome. Rocking like Mac OS Classic 9 or or something really old. I mean, this is a long time ago. But back then, I grokked the benefit of a modular laptop. It was like great to have. And so you're right. This would speak to me. If you could do things like pop in a graphics card, right? That's the kind of stuff. I appreciate that the CPU is socketed. I'd love to see that more in modern laptops and the memory and all that. And the storage is all socketed. And even the motherboard is replaceable. 
But that's only as long as it fits within those thermal envelopes and that power profile. And there will be a point, one or two CPU generations down the road, where that's likely no longer going to be the case. And you'll only get so much runway out of that replacing the motherboard CPU setup. Yeah, but it's better than what we've got now, right? Yeah. I mean, even if you could buy one generation of motherboard and CPU after your generation, that'd be great. That really, because that really would be, I mean, yeah, I'd like to see them do this. You know, they're not really taking orders yet. It's still in the pre-order stage, but I looked at the crew behind this and I thought, because that's what's going to make or break some fantasy like this. Who's actually trying to make this thing? And they It's a nice vision, but. Yeah. Well, it is. And they acknowledge that uh, they're making big claims. They say that consumer electronics is littered with the graves of companies with grand ideas and failed executions. The proof is going to be in the products. And they then go on to talk about what a great team they have, which right now seems to be around 13 officially with about nine open positions, some of them rather critical. But uh, I looked at their uh, founder and I looked at their system software engineer and they have some serious credentials, Wes. They they have been around. Uh, the founder spent years at Oculus and then even spent some years at Facebook after the acquisition working on both software and hardware team. Same with the main software engineer. Seemed like they were both directly responsible for essentially every Oculus product we've ever seen. And the other people on the team have experience from Asus, Google, Dell, there's others that they come from some decent pedigree. And organizations that are building and shipping products, right? I think I think that's what stands out here is it does seem like a team of people who've done this before have been through successful releases of products and and have clearly learned a lot. I, I think my main question is, what's the market for this gonna be? Are they you know, they're they're shooting pretty high here. I don't know what kind of funding they have or what that runway has looked like and what, how much success do they need to, to really make it here is going to be a question. Now, I think there has been more interest in the general public and right to repair laws, repairability in general. Maybe this stands out. I think what might make it or break it, though, is how thin does it really end up being and are the aesthetics up to par? Yeah. And then you got the nice things like how good is the keyboard? How's the screen look? How's the trackpad? How's the Wi-Fi reception? There's a lot that goes into a good laptop. Yeah, does Bluetooth actually connect? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's it's a harder job than uh, we could probably even imagine, but they do seem to have those credentials. I'm very skeptical. I'd, I, I, I'd love to see something like this, and even if it just sort of pushed the industry or if it gave the folks over at System76 some ideas they could do with a laptop – I'd be happy, right? I'm, I'm probably never going to buy this laptop, but I'd love to see him push the market a little bit. Right. At least hopefully this signals to other companies out there that there, there might be some interest here. Well, something Google's been showing some interest in is funding Linux kernel security development. Google and the Linux Foundation have announced plans to fund two full-time maintainers to exclusively focus on Linux kernel security development, Gustavo Silva and Nathan Chancellor. Chancellor? who's been working on the kernel for four and a half years, will be focused on triaging and fixing bugs in Clang and LLVM, while working on establishing continuous integration systems to support that work. Now, this doesn't really sound like working on the kernel, but once those compiler aims are well established, Chancellor plans to begin adding features and polish to the kernel using those compiler technologies. He was quoted in the announcement as saying, I hope that more and more people will start to use the LLVM compiler infrastructure project and contribute fixes to it and the kernel. It will go a long way 
towards improving Linux security for everyone. As for Gustavo, he'll be focused full-time on eliminating several classes of buffer overflows by transforming all instances of zero-length and one-element arrays into flexible array members, which is the preferred and least error-prone mechanism to declare those variables. Additionally, he is actively focusing on fixing bugs before they hit mainline, while also proactively developing defense mechanisms that cut off whole classes of vulnerabilities. And he's well qualified for this work. He sent his first kernel patch in 2010, and today is an active member of the Kernel Self-Protection Project. He's consistently one of the top five most active kernel developers since 2017, with more than 2,000 commits in mainline. Linux.ting.com. Ting Mobile has gotten even better. I've been a customer for a long time, and I can tell you there's never been a better time to go to Linux.ting.com. Get $25 off and check out their plans. There's one for everybody. If you're budget-minded, Ting has a Set 5 plan. For just $25, you get unlimited text and talk, 5 gigabytes of LTE or 5 gigabytes of 5G data, which you can also use as a hotspot. You get the nationwide LTE coverage from their three different carriers and 5G wherever it's available. No contract. If you use 2 gigs or 20 gigs a month, though, Ting has the perfect plan for you. And there's even some plans with unlimited data. Every plan, though, gets access to Ting's award-winning customer service with nationwide LTE and 5G coverage from a network provider that probably works great in your area, plus the freedom of no contracts ever. There's a plan to fit every user and three great networks to choose from. It's simple to switch to Ting, and since they have that wide network support, pretty much every phone will work on Ting. Just head to linux.ting.com to check your current phone, create an account, and pick the plan that's right for you. When everything syncs up, Ting will send you a SIM card that you just pop into your phone, and you activate in minutes. Cutting your phone bill in half has never been easier with Ting's brand new mobile plans. Get talk, text, and data for ridiculously cheap prices. It's the next generation of Ting Mobile. It's here now, and you can get $25 off at linux.ting.com. There's a shiny new version of Firefox out this week, and while we don't cover every release, this one seemed pretty special. Version 86 is out, and one of their headline features is Total Cookie Protection, which they say is a major privacy advance in Firefox. It's essentially creating a cookie jar for each website, and I love that term. I know there are consequences to this, but that's one of those features that made me think, why have we always been doing this? 86 also has simultaneous picture-in-picture mode for multiple videos, which is going to be fantastic for me because my security cameras on Lady Jupes are all RTSP video feeds that I can pop out now into multiple independent players. Very excited about that. I actually have switched back to Firefox recently, and I've seen notable performance improvements even from the last time I tried it out. One of the performance improvements you might notice this time around is they've moved Canvas Drawing and WebGL to the GPU process. That makes sense. That's going to be really nice. Some improvements to reader mode and also printing land in this version. But really, for me, it's all about the picture-in-picture mode, the cookie protection, and taking those rendering processes and moving into the GPU. You bring all that together, and I think it's it's one of these releases of Firefox where if you haven't tried it out for a while it is definitely worth checking in because it's going to be noticeable. You know, I gave that multiple picture-in-picture mode a shot and it works pretty well. 
I'm kind of impressed with that functionality in general. It feels pretty seamless. And honestly, regardless of the Linux desktop that I use it on, it just works. And that's impressive. Yeah. You know, in this release, they consolidated the way they do video decoding in Firefox and not only improve performance, but actually manage to improve security and how they do it as well. You know, I've been using Firefox a lot more myself. And you mentioned those reader mode improvements. Honestly, that's one of the reasons. Just it's been built in forever now and it just keeps working. I try to use it on basically every site. And on that theme of being back on Firefox for a bit, I really don't have any extensions anymore that are not available for Firefox. And the ones that I have used in Chrome and I am now using in Firefox, I find small little things that seem like they are either better integrated with Firefox or just the way it's all handled seems to work better in Firefox than it does for the same exact extension. There's a handful of them in Chrome. You know, I have the same experience. I don't know what they're doing there, Wes, but I like it. And I, I've been really impressed. It's, it's nice to make it theme and make it look like my desktop. It feels more like a native Linux desktop web browser to me than Chrome does now. Chrome will always be a bit alien, I think. You know, I'd be interested to know if the audience has noticed what we're talking about. Go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact for all the ways to get in touch. And linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. If you're curious about the tricks and tips we have for sticking with Linux after all these years, check out Linux Unplugged 394 at linuxunplugged.com slash 394. We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. Thank you.